the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. Your hour. I'm still curious to know how you think, um, what you think of Joe Biden's announcement that we will be pulling out of Afghanistan root and branch by August 31st. I gave you my concerns and asterisks to that decision as of right now and the timing of it. I wonder what you think of it. Is this um, 1975 all over again? He said it wasn't. Uh, I have a listener um, who uh, who pointed out my dad did two tours in Vietnam we still ask, what was that for when you think about what happened in 1975? If the Taliban ends up overrunning the Afghanistan government, which is far from stable and which the Taliban is gaining power, if they overrun them, do we not naturally ask what these 20 years and over 2,300 American lives were for? Don't we have to ask that question? And does anyone remember what it was like from 1975 to 1981 when it came to talking about America's footprint, America's power, America's influence, and our allies relying and their security um, based on our promises. Uh, I don't want to overdo this, but I also don't want to underdo it. Because this is a war that has dominated 20 years of our life. But there is time for war and there is time for peace. Joe Biden today said the mission was accomplished when we killed bin Laden. As I pointed out, he was vice president at the time. He was actually against it. But that was 2011. And there were five more years of his administration that oversaw deploying U.S. troops to Afghanistan after the mission was accomplished, according to Joe Biden. Seems to me someone in that position of authority, someone who was there, someone who oversaw that, would have very little credibility in talking to us about the plans to withdraw under these conditions. Now, now, now 10 years past mission accomplished when the first five were on his watch. I worry about the message to our allies. I worry about allies relying on us. Are you familiar with the life and times and letter of the Cambodian leader named Sirak Matak, Sirak Matak, who was our ally in Cambodia? In 1975, our ambassador to Cambodia offered asylum in the United States to Sirik Matak. He turned it down. Here's what he wrote. Dear Excellency and Friend, the Ambassador to Cambodia, John Dean, 
Dear Excellency and Friend, I thank you very sincerely for your letter and for your offer to transport me towards freedom. I cannot, alas, leave in such a cowardly fashion. As for you, and in particular for your great country, I never believed for a moment that you would have this sentiment of abandoning a people which has chosen liberty. You have refused us your protection, and we can do nothing about it. You leave us, and it is my wish that you and your country will find happiness under the sky. But mark it well that if I shall die here on the spot and in my country that I love, it is too bad because we were all born and someday must die. But it is too bad because I have only committed the mistake of believing in you, the Americans. Please accept, my dear friend, my faithful and friendly sentiments, Prince Sirik Matak. He died that month. He died within a month. I don't know how many people remember how terrible a situation that was. It was in large part a a motivating catalyst for the election of Ronald Reagan, someone who would restore our international credibility and national pride. We for many years talked about the Vietnam Syndrome. Bin Laden, of course, famously said the Americans don't wait it out. They cut and run as they did in Beirut and as they did in Somalia. Well, after 20 years, you can't exactly say it's cutting and running, but it is cutting. It is cutting. And I have to ask about the timing. It's right in front of the September 11th anniversary. And I have no doubt that this will be a large part of whatever speech Joe Biden decides to give that day. I just don't think it's a propitious end right now. I'd love to know what you think. 602-508-0960. A friend sent me on Twitter the story from a whistleblower in New Mexico who got his hands for the approved reading list of books for Albuquerque Public Schools in, in um, New Mexico. Albuquerque Public Schools in New Mexico have the following as their recommended books for social studies. The Diary of Malcolm X. How Dare the Sun Rise, Memoirs of a War Child, African Americans in the U.S. Economy, Howard Zinn's Southern Diary, Raisin in the Sun, A People's History of the United States, Voices of a People's History in the United States. These are all Howard Zinn books. Feminism, Gender Identity, Immigration Nation, Race Relations, An Indigenous People's History of the United States for Young People. Freedom Over Me, Sitting Bull, Lakota Warrior and Defender of His People, Strike, The Farm Workers Fight for Their Rights, Drowned City, Hurricane Katrina, and New Orleans. This is social studies today, folks. This is social studies. Um, It's all about race. It's all about queerness. And it's all about critical race theory, which really isn't teaching theory. It really isn't. 
it's teaching programming and propaganda and does not allow you to question it. Okay? That's what we're dealing with. Um, It is a narrative about the United States. It's a narrative about the United States that is literally ahistorical. It's literally ahistorical because it views history exclusively through a singular lens. I happen in my research to believe that it is the lens of Marxism and what he said in his notes on Feuerbach, that the point of the philosopher up to now, up until Marx, has been to understand history, whereas the point now is to change it. That is why critical race theory is ahistorical. We know, we know well the crimes of America. We know well the sins of America. We know well the mistakes of America. We teach them for a purpose because not only do we want to be true to history, we don't want to repeat the errors we have made. We know this well. For the CRT movement to lecture us, as they did in the pages of the Arizona Republic yesterday, that our opposition to CRT is based on not wanting to reveal the warts of the United States is a red herring and a lie. It means they've read none of our textbooks. It also means they've ne- read none of the mainstream history textbooks of the last 80 to 100 years, all of which cover the miseries of the United States as much as the victories of the United States. What critical race theory wants to do is remove the second part. It's ahistorical because it's inaccurate. We know more about slavery than we do about James Otis. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Think about it. I'll tell you when I come back, and you're going to like it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Should I do that publicly? Should I? I don't. I don't want to embarrass. Well, I just heard an ad for um, the fact that uh, this Sunday Mayor Jolowitz will be sitting in for Mr. Wolf on uh, the show that airs Sundays at noon, Middle East. What is it? Middle East Forum? Middle East Radio Forum. I know Mayor quite well and Jolowitz. And um, I just <laughs> he's a great guy. I All right. I'll embarrass him. <laughs> in the 70s and 80s, all my sisters and sisters' friends had huge crushes on them. That's that's it. That's all, that's all I got. All right. Tim is in Peoria on my Afghanistan question. Um, Tim, our graver business uh, frowns on the levity. Welcome back. Thank you, Seth. How are you? I am fine, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'll preface everything I'm about to say with I am a veteran. I was in country as far as Afghanistan is concerned on November 27, 2001. Didn't leave that country until November 2003. Uh, let me preface this by the- saying, then let me preface this by what you're about to say by saying the following. Thank you for your service. And to the degree that we disagree on what I said and what you said, you're probably right and I'm probably wrong. So thank you for calling and thank you for your service. 
I don't think we're going to disagree. Okay, good, good, good. Help me out. Help us all out. Okay. So I've always been in favor of of a drawdown um, to military operations in Afghanistan. Afghanistan historically is the land of the unforgiven uh, from – you know, early times, and we look at the 1980s during the CIA-funded war depicted in Charlie Wilson's war with Tom Hanks. We know that Afghanistan is a hotbed, always will be a hotbed for radical Islamic terrorism in their training camps. And I think that we are going to see a return to that, and we will see soldiers and Marines back in Afghanistan within five years, simply because the, the hotbed that is uh, training right now is in Libya and in Syria. I see al-Qaeda and ISIS uh, being close to one another, re-merging and moving back into Afghanistan because I don't think the corrupt government of Afghanistan is going to be able to maintain any type of, uh, any semblance of uh, normalcy in that country, unfortunately. And that's just the the ins and outs, if you will, of Taliban. Uh, I think it's unfortunate the way uh, Joe Biden is going about it. I think he's being very cavalier. And I think his, his cavalier... Uh, attitude towards it is a disservice to the lives lost and the wounded and the impact that it has had on their families and Americans in general. I just, I can't make sense of it as to what they're doing. They're trying to wave the flag, pump the football, whatever you want to do. But I I just think that we're going to be back. And prepare for a speech on September 11th is my guess on the anniversary. We're coming up on that 20th anniversary. Yeah, no, and I I get it. He's going to, you know, spike the football and say this is what I did. But he has to remember that the drawdown is the right thing to do. But his his man, when he was, you know, VP with Barack, his best buddy, Barack uh, Obama, set the conditions in the Middle East via the Arab Spring with that structured destabilization of the Middle East that led to Libya falling into the hands of ISIS. Right. And you know all the good stuff. It's just it's history and it's fun. Uh, I just think that it's all wrong, and unfortunately, uh, I think Donald Trump had a great idea as to his plan, but unfortunately, we're not there right now. Yeah, let me and let me I ask see, you. Can I can I spend yes, some time with you? You are an expert. You yes, have sir. been there. Uh, that makes you far more expert than ninety eight percent of the population, Tim. Uh, first of all. You raise an interesting point. We have tended to gloss over the tremendous amount of disruption the Barack Obama, Joe Biden administration did in that region in their early tenure. And they never fixed it. They never made up for it. Uh, I remember they helped overthrow our ally in Egypt to install the Muslim Brotherhood only for another reversal of that decision to have to take place by the people of Egypt. I have no idea. What the hell we were doing trying to take Gaddafi out in Libya as he was trying to finally cozy up to us and work with the United States of America. And now we have a situation where last I checked, there were four different people claiming to be the president of Libya. Uh, the I think ste- steps in Iran during the 2009 uh, uprising there, I think, was exactly 180 degrees from where it should have been when he said we won't. Med-. The only people he didn't meddle with were our enemies. The only places he did meddle were with our allies. And I think it tr- caused a tremendous disruption. It's not Afghanistan. You're welcome to address any of that, Tim. But what you're, what I want to ask you about Afghanistan is – What is the best we can hope for? Perhaps sights were set too high in October of 01. I'm willing to admit that. You saw it. What is the best that could happen there? We did not go to Afghanistan to win. 
we adopted a posture of containment, much like with communism in Vietnam, in my opinion. Uh, we did not unleash the, the, the full lethality of our military forces to go in and to win and to put in place a government that is ultimately friendly, not a government that's going to, quote unquote, work with us. But Hamid Karzai was an absolute disaster. Right. An absolute disaster. Still is. If, if Use the present has, tense. Yeah. Still is. Still is. If, yeah. If, if nobody understands Karzai, he was a tribal chieftain. He was no diplomat. And we put him, we propped him up because the Northern Alliance liked him. But if you look back on what Karzai has done and, you know, the billions of dollars that he built out of the United States, um, it has to be a mistake. We're going to see the blowback again. You know, the end of the war, the Russian uh, occupation of Afghanistan in the 80s led to the abandonment. That led to the Mujahideen, the, the uptick of the Mujahideen. Uh, you know, Osama bin Laden set up camp. And, you know, fast forward to 1993, the first attack on the World Trade Center, which was an al-Qaeda operation, uh, you know, perpetrated by uh, Ramzi Youssef, who is the nephew of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Right. There is a tie. Right. Everything has a tie. You, you bet. You to connect the dots. Oh, it goes so back to the first World Trade Center. It might even go back yeah. to the assassination of Mayor Kahani. Correct. It's just, it is way, un, un, it's just way unfortunate. We did not go to win. We went to uh, institute, you know, like the, the idea of asymmetric warfare. We were well in our, uh, we, we were over overpowering everybody, but we did not go to win. We went there, shock and awe, and then we settled. Okay, we that's a question. Staggered. See, you're, 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 yeah. you're very much actually where I am on a lot of this, Tim. Can I keep you for a little bit? Do you have to go? You, you, oh, you've yeah. become, you, you started as a caller. I would like to turn you into a guest. Can I do that with you? All right. Let's do it. All right. The distinction between a caller and a guest. I don't know what the distinction is anymore. The audience is so damn smart. Tim is one of them. He's a teacher by profession. You can tell. Let me take this break. I have a bunch of questions for you. The first of which used the word shock and awe. You said some stuff up front, Tim, that makes me wonder if we were told there was shock and awe more so than there was Shock and awe. You said something else. It's the only prophetic thing I think I said. Well, I've said a few prophetic things. One of them was that Mitt Romney would never be president. But the other prophetic thing I said, I think I was right about. I'd like your comment on. I said it in 01. This culture will not let us fight the kind of war we need to fight to kind to have the kind of victory we need to have. Which begs, raises the question, if we fought the kind of war we needed to fight, the kind of war we fought in the past, when absolute victory was the goal um could we have done it it sounds to me like we could have based on what you had to say but i'll wait to hear what you have to say when we come right back Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have as our guest Tim from Peoria. He came in as a caller. We've converted him into a guest. He knows Afghanistan. He has uh, fought with the American flag on his person in Afghanistan. Tim, I raised a couple questions, tough ones, on the way to the break. I, I'm going to repeat them real quick. Uh, one is you had mentioned shock and awe. Did we actually do that or did you, did we say we did it? One. Two. Okay, yeah, yeah. Second, are you in are you in concert with me 
that the culture in America has changed so much we were never going to be able to fight the kind of war we had to fight to have the victory we wanted. And unfortunately, so I think we were saying about shock and awe, but, you know, bombs, there, it takes more than just bombs to have shock and awe. Uh, you know, we went into Afghanistan with, um, you know, again, a, the asymmetric mindset, uh, and that's coming out of Donald Rumsfeld's vision for, you know, revamping uh, the Pentagon and the way we fight wars. Um, it, it was more small unit tactics. Again, it was more of addressing an issue, uh, that being uh, addressing the enemy, going to where they were and putting putting fire to the fight, if you will. And coming out of it, I can see, you know, my experience was that we weren't doing what we needed to do. We were just, you know, we were doing pinpoint strikes. We were attempting to also build up and win the hearts and minds and relying on the indigenous force, uh, a.k.a. the Northern Alliance, to uh, complement uh, the fight that we were putting in there. But at the end of the day, we went in there blind. We didn't have the intelligence with respect to even uh, correct math, just as an example. Um, and I, I just thought that it was very discombobulated moving in. We were in a hurry-up-and-wait kind of posture, and it wasn't very difficult to go in and demonstrate that our force was overwhelming and to create the numbers that we wanted to create. But then we started to back off, and I believe it was Tommy Frank. And I say Tommy Franks with all due respect because, you know, he's a four-star general, and I believe he's from the state of Alabama. And he talked about the war in Afghanistan, and he likened it to hunting alligators in the swamp. And he said, the way you do it, and I believe, like I say, I'm pretty sure it was Frank, the way you do it is you drain the swamp, you expose the head, and then you kill it. Yeah. Well, we... In the beginning, we I remember Colin Powell well. saying that in the first Gulf War, actually, believe it or not. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe it was Colin Powell. Well, but, but, it was, but it might have been Tommy Frank's taking it from Colin Powell. In any event, that was a very, a very prominent statement in those days. I remember it. Yeah. And, go I, ahead. and I just thought it was a great statement. Mm-hmm. But again, we just pulled back and then we started to create the, the forward operating bases. Then we started to do permanent, we tried to set up permanent residence in uh, Afghanistan. And we didn't get into what we needed to do, and that was, to, again, instill a government via the fight that's going to be friendly to us, and that is going to be an actual ally. We just didn't have that. And sooner or later, um, it was going to come to the of the Taliban is what we are seeing. And I just don't think Americans today have the stomach for the kind of war that we needed to fight. Yeah. If you go back to the European campaign in World War II, that is how a war is to be fought, because yep. it was to fight and win and yep. come back home. It was never the intent, for some reason, uh, in this world of DOD contracts and you know making people rich off war, it was never the idea that we were going to be in and out. And although I do agree with having a stabilizing force in Afghanistan, I've always supported it, uh, we stayed too long, and we became complacent. And when you got into 2008, and I'm just really glad that I was not no longer in the service in 2008, when Barack Obama changed the rules of engagement in Afghanistan, and the first casualties I believe we saw were six Marines outside of a village who were ambushed, and when they went to return fire and to respond to that ambush, they were told no, and they were hamstrung, and handcuffed to effectively 
throw down what needed to be done to address the enemy. And Barack Obama brought in the JAG Corps, and he applied lawyering to war. When now, well, during his, te- his tenure, we were looking at getting a lawyer's perspective and opinion before we responded to a threat. Hold that thought, that Tim. Was, I'm going to keep you a little longer because I want to run some more of this by you. Yeah, you okay? You, you good to say? Without compassion, yeah. in my opinion. Okay, hold that thought. The, hold that thought, Tim. I, I want to pick up on that. i got to take the quick break. If you can stay, I have more questions for you. You've been fabulous. Thank you for your service to our country and to this show. We'll be right back. friends at Cool Touch Air Conditioning for all your air conditioning needs. They do great work with plumbing as well. Chris Funk and his team at Cool Touch I've known for some time. I use them. My friends use them. They're the company my family uses. For installation, inspection, and repair with your air conditioning, you're not going to do better than Cool Touch. Right now, they're also selling a fantastic new unit of air conditioning that acts as if it has a dimmer switch on a light. That way you don't have the power surge costs of on and off with your air conditioning. You get the right percentage of air conditioning, just like you get the right amount of light with a dimmer switch without turning the light on and off. So you end up with the most comfortable living environment and the biggest savings on your utility bills. And to add to those savings, Cool Touch is offering a $2,000 rebate on this system as well. Whether it's this system, another one, a repair or inspection, Cool Touch Air Conditioning is the place to go. 623-734-1932 or CoolTouchAC.com. That's CoolTouchAC.com. I'm sorry Tim had to go. If he calls back, I'll put him on. Tim, if you're still listening, I wanted to keep you, uh, but you're welcome to call back any time. The question I wanted to ask you, and I'll put it in the form of a statement, was this in regard to fighting the kind of war we have to fight. I'll never forget the four contractors, the four American contractors who were uh, burned to death and then hung from a bridge in Fallujah in Iraq early on in the Iraq war. And I remember a group of conservative communicators got together and told people at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, that this would be the day to flatten Fallujah. Just flatten it and the American people will be behind you. The American people will not put up with four of their own burnt to death and hung from a bridge by the enemy. You can do anything you want. And we did not. And we ended up having to take Fallujah four times. Four times. You measure twice and cut once. And you show them a lesson. You teach them a lesson and you show them what true will really is. You show them that the price for American life is not cheap and that the price of an American life is going to come with the full faith, credit, and force of the United States of America. Taking a place like Fallujah four times is not the full faith, credit, and force of the United States of America. It isn't. And I thought at that point right there the war would be lost. What do I mean by lost? Not obtaining the objectives we set out to. Afghanistan is not a stable country. Iran is supporting its most active military and terrorist force in the Taliban. 
let me tell you how backwards the Taliban is. It's not just like we're dealing with Chinese Communist Party here. It's not as if we're even dealing with the NKVD of the Soviet Union of yore. We are dealing with a level of animal nihilism, the description of which is hard to do over the radio without giving nightmares to children or young girls. What's interesting is when you listen to Hillary Clinton or Kamala Harris talk about women in America, they make it sound as if we're the Taliban. Meantime, they have nothing to say about the human rights of the Taliban. In any event, the Taliban was so backwards that when we went into Afghanistan in October of 01, I remember Christopher Hitchens saying, it's the first time in the history of the world a country was actually blown into the Stone Age. In other words, the Stone Age was a step up, a step of advancement for the Taliban in Afghanistan. Do you remember when Donald Trump called MS-13 animals? MS-13, one of the world's most vicious and violent gangs, also acts like the Taliban, uses acid, severs limbs, has a different objective, has a different political ideology, but when Donald Trump called them animals, you will recall that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats and the journalists went nuts. Nancy Pelosi went so far as to say no human being should be considered an animal, and I was delighted to hear her all of a sudden discover the natural law and natural rights import of the founding of the United States of America. But it's the only time I've heard her say it in the defense of MS-13. To be fair to her, it wasn't so much in defense of MS-13 as it was an attack on Donald Trump because any port in a storm would do. Any way you could find to cre criticize the president if he was a Republican or if he was Donald Trump, you would do it even if it came to a left-handed defense of MS-13. But when you're prepared to condemn the president for condemning MS-13, and you represent, and you are the head of, excuse me, you are the head of the opposition party in the United States, now the dominant party in the United States, when you're prepared to use the terrorism of MS-13 as a battlestick or battering ram against the president of the United States. You have forfeited at this point any moral credibility or authority. I say that and it doesn't mean anything really because everyone views moral authority and credibility as subjective. But that's our problem, isn't it? That's our problem. If you can't find within your social, moral, intellectual, or political education, if you can't find the wherewithal 
to know the difference between good and bad, right and wrong, evil and decent, as comparing the United States of America under any president versus MS-13, or for that matter, the Taliban, or for that matter, the malocracy of Iran. I don't think we have anything to talk about morally or any objective standard at all whatsoever in this country anymore. You know what that means? That means we're no less nihilist than our enemies. And at this point, it's not about philosophy and ideology. It's just about tactics. And what a sad place to be brought down to. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I want to do some of this tomorrow. Thanks uh, for spending some of your time with us today. I want to do some of this tomorrow. A week ago, I wrote this down. I was it, uh, This is the kind of thing that, that keeps me up at night. I heard Dennis Prager say um, that it's important to remember evil never views itself as evil. There's a year's worth of political philosophy in that sentence, and we need to deal with it. As he said, do you think Hitler or the Nazis didn't think they were doing good? Of course they did. And it dawned on me, the baseline and touchstone for judging, determining, and discerning these things, right and wrong, good and bad, just and unjust, these touchstones have been so diluted as to render them irrelevant, nugatory. We've obliterated the distinctions. We've obliterated them because we refuse to understand that evil is evil, even though it considers itself decent and good is good, even though it may be self-abnegatory. Rashida Tlaib today called for the dismantling, total dismantling of the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security has its problems. You're not going to find me saying otherwise, but they were created, it was created in the wake of 9-11 to help protect against terrorism. Of course, we put other agencies under there because we are trying to protect the country and our fellow countrymen. Not such a great surprise, is it, that Rashida Tlaib would be against a department that we created to prevent terrorism in America. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Leibson, class dismissed.